Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Playing this because of Richard Lewis? Yeah. Yeah. Mike brought the story up that Billy Joel told people to. Oh, that he played this already? Yeah. I got in here early today, so well, I missed Well, you know, uh, why don't you listen to the station once in a while, Colin, and drive in here? Well, you know, it might help, huh? I do, but I can't yeah, yeah. possibly listen to the entire station. Had a meeting at 8 o'clock. Did he do it coming out of the 8 o'clock break? I got Is that the one I missed? five minutes of sleep this morning, and I listened to the whole morning show. Well, I had to listen to the rest of the show, the uh, rest of the station okay. today. Oh, that's fine. All good. Uh, yes, Richard Lewis passed away uh, yesterday, and many people uh, illegally uh, using Curb Your Enthusiasm clips on Twitter, just posting stuff. That, Why not? Yeah. <clears throat> um, morning and welcome Thursday edition of the Beat of Sports. Quick question. Totally irrelevant to anything. Better candy holiday, Valentine's Day or Easter? Easter. Valentine's Day. Easter. Yeah, why? Just the whole egg thing and and so forth. Why, you think Valentine's Day? Yeah, because Valentine's more chocolate-based and Easter's more candy-based. Like when I think Easter, I think candy pecans. When I think chocolate, I think... I think Easter's got a better candy. Okay. Go ahead, sell me. No, I just think that um, you know the chocolate comes in a variety of ways. You got the you know you got the different types of Easter eggs. You know, I just think the whole marketing of it. I think jelly beans with Easter. I don't know if that's a that's just me thing. Right. So it doesn't have to just be chocolate. I'm just saying. I it, yeah. I think Easter just offers more. Right? No, you, that's a good argument. I guess I just like chocolate better for me personally. Is why I would go with Valentine's Day. Well. Better candy holiday, Easter or uh, Valentine's Day? You could text 5857. It's nothing to do with the show, but that's the big question of the morning. Happy Leap Day. Happy Leap Day to you. No any Leap Day birthdays? No. Do you? Uh, one person. Yeah? Um, Do they celebrate the 28th? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I think I might just hold out and just, that's it. Once every four years. Yep. How old are you? You'd be, you'd be 15. 12? <laughs> 12. You've worked here for 15 years. Yep. Yep. And I'm 12. <laughs> yeah. I would hold out. <clears throat> you going to uh, maximize the extra day? Do anything different? Uh, Nope. No? Nope. I'm going to continue to get stuff done in time for our busy, busy march. Yesterday, um, I, I was in Stillwater, and uh, before the game, there's a somewhat famous place in Stillwater called Eskimo Joe's. Hmm. It's a... Uh, Burger place that um, they also specialize in their French fry appetizers. They d- d- different like you know toppings, and I mean like loaded. And, like and a toppings bar? 
No, I mean, you order it. Oh, okay, okay. And, for example, uh, bacon, cheese, mushrooms, and so forth. You know, like jalapenos. It's like eight, nine, ten different types of uh, French fry appetizers. And I'll say this, what they do well. You know, a lot of places that load up on top of fries, it's the better fries, and they just put the stuff on top. Mm-hmm. No, this is this is the fries mixed in. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, uh that was good. So a lot of people are afraid to do that because they think the fries get soggy quick. No, they get it right. But if yeah. you it right. No, they got it right. It's unbelievable. So uh, I was with uh, four other people, and uh, fries were good. Burger was okay. You know, like, I got to Eskimo Joe's and a hamburger. So, but a cool place, and, and it's part of a nice little uh, side street by the campus there uh, at uh, Oklahoma State. And, um, yeah. So that was uh, that was lunch yesterday, and uh, got back. Uh, what did we land? Sometime after two, two thirty this morning, or something like that. Always better when you win. Um, really, so, so on the charter, thirty seat flight, right? And uh, the flight attendant we had, high energy, high energy, mm-hmm. which you know you won, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you something though, she was unbelievable with the service on the plane. Really? Well, you know, they have what do you want? Water, juice? Yeah. Or, 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 she's on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, sodas, uh, uh, whatever, and then the snack options usually come around once, maybe twice. Would you like some snacks? Yeah. I'm telling you, she went up and down the aisle like ten times. And the nice. variety was unbelievable. Like, just blown away. The second you were done with your drink, she had the cup? Had the cup and constantly, like, please, yeah. anything. We have all these snacks. and I don't know if you were, this is where you were going Fantastic, with this. Yeah. But that has happened to me on a flight before. Yeah. I'll give a tip on the way out. If I don't have to, if I you finish my drink. You give a cash tip on a flight? Yeah. If No, 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 no. I mean, you have to nail this, right? And if I if I'm done the second I'm done with my cheese it bag or my peanut bag, or if a okay. second I'm done with, or if I'm done with my sprite and she takes that cup and then she puts another one down on that table on the long three hour flights, you know what? I, I, if I've got three or four dollars wow. in my pocket, yeah. Okay, maybe on a flight with two hundred people. Yeah, yeah. And not on a charter with thirty. Yeah, not on a charter. That's like offensive. Yeah, but on a flight. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I will. Uh, yeah. Huh. Well, I will shake her hand or his hand and say, thank you very much. That was fantastic. Please go have a drink on me. Okay. All right. So I saw this yesterday. Um, Seth MacFarlane is redoing Naked Gun. Yeah, I saw that, too. With Liam Neeson as... Okay. Okay. I like Seth MacFarlane. Liam Neeson? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I decided I'm going to withhold my judgment on that one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because remember, you need you need dry delivery. How about we just write another comedy and leave it <laughs> a, 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 and leave the original in its form? Yeah, we can't. Do I, that. I I don't need another one. I you know we don't I, have imaginations these days. I, I you know I I don't need another one there. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, on our program uh, today, Cam Elder is going to join us with his weekly football segment about 1035. The Combine is underway in Indianapolis. We'll talk to Cam uh, about that and his uh, football visit. Um, 
Magic in action tonight against the Utah Jazz. And uh, got some NBA stuff to get to. LeBron went off last night with an incredible fourth quarter to help the Lakers rally and beat uh, the Clippers. Um, I do have a college football rant that I kind of teased when Mike and I were talking earlier on the bridge. And, and, and I admit, we, we, we sounded like two old guys on the porch. Um, but that's okay on, on some of those topics. I, I'm, I'm fine if I'm viewed as the old guy on the porch. Uh, I know Mike was talking, and we discussed this on the show actually numerous times at a guest on Tuesday about uh, the NIL bill in, in, in this state and where we're at. And as Mike talked about it, you know, is this something we really need? And, and you know, the real answer is no, but we can't be without it when everybody else has it. So, um, so we're going to get to all that and much more uh, coming up on uh, the program on this uh, Thursday. Um, when we come back... They made it worse. They made it worse. And I'll explain next. Happy Leap Day on the Beat of Sports. Uh, on this uh, Thursday, Mark Daniels uh, with you. Um, just when you think... The individuals that are asked to provide leadership, um, to, to, to have the ability of thinking ahead, projecting things, as well as look out for the best interests of the people that they represent, you're reminded that that's hard to do uh, in this particular industry because in the end, as the great Gordon Gecko said, to them, greed is good. And just when you thought, just when you thought, the people asked to lead the sport of college football, the same people and the cult of media that, 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 that will be their PR firm and tell you about how bad the NCAA is and how they botched it and all that stuff. The supposed leaders have done it again. And what I mean by doing it again is, and it was no coincidence that by late yesterday afternoon, in about a three- to four-hour window, the major media outlets that cover college football all happen to have the same source story about the latest college football proposals for the playoff and where we may be headed with this. Mind you, for more than 100 years, this sport didn't have a playoff. It was unique in a way that other sports had a championship involving a playoff, but college football lived for decades and decades and decades without having a playoff. Then the idea came about that, hey, let's not use computers or voters and polls and so forth. We'll put something on the field. And they gave you a 14 playoff. And the day it was announced, the concept seemed to be, well, you know, they'll eventually grow this thing. But we ended up having a 14 playoff that's going to end up surviving its original contract of a dozen years. Flawed. As I said from the get-go, it wasn't a playoff. A playoff has a defined set of guidelines to make the playoff. It is not based on the opinion of a committee. And that it always should have been viewed as an invitational, which it always has been. You can 
label it whatever you want, but it's an invitational. And then these leaders of this sport and this industry, while screaming out of one side of their mouth about how bad things are, said, we'll take it from here. We'll take it from here. And in the process, gave you what you've watched in the last number of X years of realignment and chaos and everything else. But then decided, it's time to expand this thing. All right. Remember, the commissioners could not come to an agreement. And it was the presidents that sit on the playoff management committee. The president from each conference that represents the other presidents, in 24 hours, they said, children, take a seat. And they gave you the 12-team playoff. You're like, yeah, woo! And they had, you know, well, we, yeah, we'll figure that out. Uh, okay, we'll do, you know, conference champions and Power 5 leagues and a G5 and at large and all that stuff along the way. And, uh, you know, uh, okay, we'll do that. But we got to figure it out because the Pac-12 is imploding because us, the leaders of this sport, uh, did our part to kill one of the great conferences uh, that existed in collegiate sports because, hey, football is about greed and money, so screw everything else. So all the other sports, double bird you, and uh, we're just going to do this. And there goes the league. Leaders. Remember, the, the, the people in charge of running this industry. Um, then, then... Did they make it better? Well, I'll acknowledge this. I'll still watch every playoff game that they play. Because I'm addicted to the sport. But now, we didn't even get a chance to go to 12. Now, we're going to 14. Why? We're just going to 14. 14 is better than 12. It's more spots. Oh, okay. Um. All right. So maybe we'll kick around the idea of 14. And along the way, then you checked off the National Football League with your idea, hey, we're going to need more Saturdays to play in the NFL set. (laughs) We're not moving. You know why? Because when we play those Saturday games during the holidays, we're drawing 25, 30, 40 million people. And college football said, well, you know, we like to play Saturday. The NFL said, bring it. Well, uh, I don't know if we want to go head-to-head with you. By the way, do you know Do you know this coming year, this coming year in college football, when the semifinals are going to be played? The day of the week, okay? Now, the first round, the first round of 12, because we get 12 for a couple of years. It's the new deal they're talking about, 14. Uh, th- there'll be one game on a Friday and three games on a Saturday. Then for the quarterfinals, one game on New Year's Eve, three games on New Year's Day. The the semifinals are played on a Thursday and Friday. A Thursday and Friday. Do you know why? Because the NFL said, we're not moving our Saturday games. And college football was like, well, I don't want to compete with the National Football League. So they're going to play semifinal games on a Thursday. That makes easy fan travel, right? I mean, who? Who can't get on the plane on a Tuesday and fly for Thursday game or Wednesday for Friday game or whatever? So they're going to play on Thursday and Friday. 
Let's get back to the leaders leading here. Quickly, 10 o'clock hour, WY Orlando, WJRR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mark Daniels, and the Beat of Sports. Well, now that we have the growing powers of the SEC and the Big Ten, who said, well, we're bigger and better, so um, you know we're going to have more teams than we want automatic qualifiers. You know, we had a model that said, we're going to put an emphasis on winning a conference championship. The same leaders and commissioners told you, that matters to us. Winning a conference championship matters. We're going to reward those teams. And in this model for 12 right now, we're going to take the top four conference champions. They're going to get those buys. Because conference championships matter. At least for a couple years. Then after that, I'm not quite sure. Because now, now, we got those big leagues that say, hey, uh, uh, you know, we make more. We're bigger, we're better. We want automatic qualifiers. We want more than one guaranteed slot. How many you want? And the rumor was they may want as many as four. Four. Huh. And like I brought up earlier this week, what SEC fan come mid-November doesn't think that the sixth or seventh best team in the SEC is better than the third best team in the Big Ten? Every SEC fan feels that way. Why would the SEC be okay with the Big Ten getting as many slots. Well, you know, we got to get peace in the room. Then the news comes yesterday. And that wasn't by accident that every major outlet that covers college football had the story within a three-hour window. That, 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 that was meant to get out there. Nope. Here's an idea we're kicking around. We're going to kick around the idea of 3-3-2-2-1. Three, three, two, two, Not a locker combination. What do you mean? Well, since we're bigger and better, uh, the SEC and the Big Ten, we want three automatic qualifiers. And uh, you, the Big 12 and the ACC, you can get two. Uh, then we'll give the group a 5-1. Okay? So three and three, that's six. Two and two, that's ten. That's 11. Notre Dame, if you're in the top 14, then we'll guarantee you a spot. That would be 12 if they get there. And then we'll have a couple of that large along the way. And everybody's happy, right? I mean, come on. Hey, you and the Big 12, I mean, we're going to guarantee a second spot. I mean, that's pretty good. And you and the ACC, we're going to guarantee you a second spot. And before we get to revenue distribution, everyone's going to be happy. Really? Yeah. So let me ask you this question. What, 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 what are we doing with the conference champion then? Why are we playing conference championship games? What, what What's the point of that? Now, someone plays in a conference championship game. What if they lose? Do they lose their automatic qualifier spot and drop out? And then other teams move up? I, I don't want to play in that game. If after 12 regular season games and there's three automatic qualifying spots and I'm the second team and three and four right behind me and whatever the tiebreaker was, do I get a spot for playing in the conference championship game? And if I do, what do I care if I win? Well, but then you get a bye. And, but I don't want to lose my spot. Yeah, maybe it's a good point. So what are we doing conference championship games for? Well, they make money. Okay. So now, 
it went from we're rewarding the conference champions to we're just a bigger, better league, so we need automatic qualifiers. Let me give you an idea. Based on this past year in college football, and this is flawed because the Pac-12 existed. Okay, the Pac-12 doesn't exist anymore, but the Pac-12 existed. You can't just forget Washington and Oregon and Arizona's existence. But do you know how many ACC teams are in the top 14? If, if you want to guarantee them two slots, this past year, how many ACC teams are in the top 14? That's one. That was Florida State. Louisville was 15th in the College Football Playoff Committee's final ranking. So they would get in? If they weren't in the top 14 because you guaranteed them a couple of spots. And for the Big 12, the, again, reality this year, the top two teams of the Big 12 were Texas and Oklahoma. They were third and 12th. They're going to the SEC. The next ranked team for the Big 12 was Oklahoma State at 20. So you think that first year, okay, that first year, which might be in year one, if you're the fourth SEC team, you say, well, they get it as an at-large. Well, hang on a second. Talk about automatic qualifier. You're the fourth best team in the SEC. And you're going to look at the ACC and Big 12 and go, wait a minute. Their second automatic qualifier, they're not ranked as high as me. Last year in the SEC, Alabama 4, Georgia 6, Missouri 9, Old Miss was 11, LSC was 13. And he said, well, they would get in as uh, 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 at-large. Well, I, I don't know. You got a G5 school getting in. And by the way, wait till that first year when the highest-ranked G5 team has two losses and there's a SEC or a Big Ten team sitting there at 15th or 14th that doesn't get in. Well, there's no perfect system. Correct. There isn't a perfect system. Because we're still using a committee here to rank teams to get in. There's no guidelines that said if you win this or you finish. No. So it remains an invitational. It remains an invitational. Uh, Then, revenue distribution. Well, the SEC and Big Ten are telling, hey, we're bigger, we're better, we want more. Okay. And I don't doubt that it's part of negotiation telling the Big 12 and the ACC, look, okay, uh, we're going to want more slots, but we'll give you a second slot, and we're going to want more money. Well, how much more money? So the reports coming out are SEC and Big Ten have floated 25 to 30% of the $1.3 billion that the New Deal is supposed to be on a yearly basis. So let's cut it in half, or, 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 or let's cut the gap. It's, it's 27 and a half. And for the ACC and the Big 12, between 15 and 20%, let's give them 17 and a half. And then the G5... They're talking about, well, you know, maybe 8% there, and then Notre Dame, they get 1%. Okay, what's that revenue breakdown to? I'll save you all the math. I would tell you that for each conference in the SEC and Big Ten, based on that distribution, it's about $22 plus million per SEC team. It's about 19.9 for Big Ten, why they got more teams to feed. ACC Big 12 be about 14 million. For the G5, for all five conferences, about 21 million dollars. Okay. More money for uh the Big 10 and the SEC. They didn't change anything. They, they, these are the people 
that have been given the task of leading this game, this sport, and this is what they've done. We'll have a bigger invitational. We'll create more automatic slots for teams that don't win conference championships. We'll make conference championship games irrelevant because somebody could lose and miss out on a playoff. I don't know why you would still need them. We'll still use a committee uh, to pick teams. And I don't even know why the SEC wants this. Why would you agree to this? Well, we're making some sacrifices now. And the extension would go to 2031. I don't know why you even agree to this. Well, it's for the good of the game. Is it? I don't know. I mean, we haven't even tried 12, and we said, well, 14's the the way to go. And I'll watch. I, at least I acknowledge I'm going to watch. Okay? Because I'm addicted to the sport. But the individuals asked to lead this sport, the commissioners are supposed to look out for the best interests of the sport. And they, no. I'll protect me. I'll protect me. And, you know, then if you read some of the stories, listen, sources say that, hey, they, you know, the SEC and Big Ten, they, you know, they discuss a breakaway. And, and, and let me ask you this question. If you're a college football fan, isn't one of the many things you love about college football that it's not the National Football League? That the NFL is unique for all the reasons why it's the number one sport in this country. Who, who, who's been clamoring for the same model in college football? That's got nothing to do with whether UCF is left out. or it, 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 I'm just asking you, this is better? The, 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 this is what everybody wanted? Along the way, I, 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 we created a bigger invitational. We created more confusion. And I don't know. I mean, conferences may end up deciding who gets the automatic slots based on, oh, wait a minute. You mean like a computer model that we did for the BCS for all those years? Yeah, because, you know, we'll take into account strength of schedule or, you know. Wait till that tiebreaker includes seven teams and it comes down to net defensive touchdowns in November on even number days. Well, is that possible? You got 16, 18 team leagues. Who knows what's possible? You don't play a balanced schedule. But this is, I mean, this is good, right? I mean, this is good. It is? I, I don't know. I mean, I can sit there and say, hey, in the Big 12, they're guaranteed two slots. Not one, you guarantee two slots. That should be something that, you know, you feel good about. Mm-hmm. I, I guess until that first year that um, the Big 12 has two teams that are ranked 19th and 23rd. And they get in, and Greg Sankey looks at his members, and just for an example, I'll, I'll pick a school and say LSU was 13th, and they didn't get in. Why? Well, because we promised two slots to the Big 12, and the ACC's got two slots, and Notre Dame finished in the top 14, and we get a G5, and you don't get in. Yeah. They'll love that model. 
What's not to like about that model? Or the year that, <laughs> or the year the fifth place team in the SEC looks up and goes, wait, and pick a school for example. Uh, Wisconsin got in as the third Big Ten team, and we got left out. Yeah, but you finished fifth, and and there wasn't another at-large spot available. Huh. And we voted for this? Yeah. And I know what the answer is. Hey, there's been confusion for years. Correct. It's the same Invitational. We just added more teams. That's what we did. And by the way, there is no perfect model. I'll acknowledge that. There's no perfect model. But... Again, the people asked to lead. Every time they go into these meetings, you just have to say to yourself, can all of you stop for a second? You're all you're all thirsting for the money. And I get it. I do hell. I, I work in this industry needing a certain league and a certain school to benefit from all this. I acknowledge that. But at any moment, do any of you take a step back and look and go, what happened here? What 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 did we create? You know? It's like I gave the example to Mike on the bridge today. Kind of connected, but not. All these rumors. And by the way, if you're one of these people that live on Twitter or X, and, and there's certain accounts that people follow when it comes to conference realignment that I, I am telling you, just make stuff up. Just because someone puts sources in capital letters doesn't mean that they have any relevant information, okay? But I gave Mike the example. And I said, if Florida State could run to what conference tomorrow, which would it be? And Mike said, the SEC. Of course they would. But I said, what if there wasn't an invite there? Where were they going to? Big Ten. I said, why? He said, well, it's the money. That's correct. It's the money. It pays significantly more than the ACC. And Florida State fans have been like, well, uh, yeah, at least for one of those leagues, relevant, breakaway, we're going to be fine. Because the same leaders in that room, okay, for both at Florida State and commissioners, as I said, go, go knock on the office of the baseball coach at Florida State the women's soccer program, one of the best in the country, the softball program, one of the best in the country, and ask them what they would think about that move. Now, most of you don't care because it it only it, it comes down to what? we got to be in one of those leagues to make the money, and it's about football. I, I understand that. I'm just asking, go ask them what they would think about such a move. You think FSU baseball wants to prepare for the series against Michigan State? You think FSU softball, one of the best programs in the country, is looking going, hey, did we pack enough to go to West Lafayette this weekend for the three-game series? Again, example after example, we did the same thing in the Pac-12. We blew that thing up, and we're going to ask the team to travel across the country uh, because what? Because this is what we did in football. This is what we created. And... We'll watch because of our addiction. Is it better? I, I I don't know how anybody thinks all this is better. I don't know where we're going with this stuff. 16, 18-team leagues and, every, and, and and the latest playoff model. that I, You scratch your head and go, you guys actually made it worse? 
Like you got together and came up with something worse? I mean, you made more money, kind of, sort of. The deal's not that much more money uh, to go from where they were to where they're headed. Um, and you know, we get these automatic qualifiers, and we'll do this. And we'll, I, the people that are asked to lead, this is what they keep delivering to you. But as long as they scream to certain members of the media to blame you-know-who, the four-letter group out of Indianapolis, then everybody feels good about themselves, right? We feel great about ourselves. Until all the scenarios begin to happen, like I just said, when that fifth-place team says, why didn't I get in? We're better than that third-place team. And then someone said, why we give that league two spots? Then you know what happens? Here's what happens. They'll just change the rules. You know, we'll just change it. Hey, we didn't like that. You know, our fifth-place team should get in, so you know what? Um, we want to have the vote again to uh, to change the rule. Sure. Leadership? Wow. Uh, football for the Combine, the NFL, is uh, underway. We'll talk with Cam Melder for his weekly visit in about 20 minutes. Much more to come with the Beat of Sports. The Beat of Sports, Mar Daniels, it's a Thursday. Happy Leap Day. It is the 29th of uh, February. Um, just uh, one other unrelated college football. Another thing about the playoff before. Um, a couple people emailed me asking, because they saw Matt Michelle wrote a story about UCF and Maryland's football series is gone off the schedule. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're not playing. UCF does have North Carolina next year, and um, I think sometime in the near future, UCF will be announcing additional games to their schedule. I don't know when they'll announce that, but just for those that are like, I can't believe it, you know, they dropped Maryland. Uh, they didn't drop anybody. Schools sometimes both agree, hey, I got a chance to do this, do that, because it benefits me. Do we want to just kind of get out of this, and we'll call each other down the line? That happens all the time. But uh, UCF has a few uh, home and homes that, again, I, I don't know when, but they'll be announcing at some point in the future. Um, and I think if you're a fan, you'd be like, oh, okay, that, yeah, that, that's kind of cool. And scheduling is becoming more of a, I, I don't know, concern factor in this new playoff world that you're going into. And I do think several things are related to this. One Good business, not good business, fair or not, and for some of those schools, it is significant dollars for them. I do think the number of games versus FCS schools are going away. Not all, but I think they'll significantly drop. I think UCF may be among those that um, does away with playing in FCS because, one, the conference they're in looks down upon it because they believe that a strength of schedule metric is going to come into play more, and... They're going to encourage its members to do away with that. Um, then the other thing is, and, and I, this is more a guess on my part, as I just painted before, I, I really wonder about the future of conference championship games. I, I just think you're not going to want to risk somebody losing a playoff spot by playing in a conference championship game. And I do think one way that you may see that revenue stay is you play more conference games. The SEC still is waffling in the eight versus nine. 
the Big Ten plays nine, everybody else is doing nine, and, and I don't think it's crazy to think that some may move towards a 10-game schedule. I don't know when that is, but but I could see that um, as more teams struggle with uh, uh, filling out uh, schedules with home and home. But but if you're a UCF fan, don't, don't, don't freak out over you know the Maryland thing. They have North Carolina next year, and there's a uh, you know, whenever Terry Mahajer wants to release it, he's got some other deals that he has either completed or is in the process of completing, and um, he'll announce those at some point down the line. Last night, Kyle, did you see the fourth quarter that LeBron James had and the Lakers come back and um, beat uh, the Clippers? Uh, James had an unbelievable evening, and as I've said, we should marvel at what LeBron James does at his age to play at the level uh, that he plays at. He had 34 points last night. Uh, the Lakers come back. Um, they outscore the Clippers 39-16 in the fourth quarter. James outscored the Clippers 19-16 to um, and had one of those games that you're like, wow. Um, LeBron James is 39 years old. 39 years old. I've said this. We... We sometimes don't truly appreciate when our greats play at a level that you're not supposed to at the age for that particular sport. And James is doing stuff that you're not supposed to do at the age of 39 that he's doing right now. And you should cherish those moments uh, because they don't happen that often. But I will say this. LeBron James, no fault of his, benefits by the sports coverage of the era that he plays in. James can have a game like he had last night, and it is instantly covered. Heck, it's covered live with the coverage of the game. The highlights, the interviews, and all that stuff, it happens in real time. Like, it's on SportsCenter immediately. It's uh, the highlights are posted online immediately. So my question, Kyle, do you agree? And again, no fault of James, but if you're perf- doing performances like this, we will be in awe more simply because of our access to the moment. Not just an older player performing well, but I mean any great performance, you you either watch it live or or get instant reaction. Where years ago. Years ago, if you had a West Coast game, you just didn't have access to everything. It just, oh, I might have read about it the next day or even two days later, okay? Because here are the numbers, okay? LeBron James is 39 years old. He's averaging 25 points and uh, pulling down seven rebounds and averaging eight assists. That's insane at the age of 39. We would agree, right? That, that, that yes. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. How many more years do you think LeBron, can, LeBron James can play at a high level? That's a great question. Every time I think it gets older, he just every time I think it's the ceilings now, oh, he's got one or two more years left. I feel like I've been saying that for the past five, six years. Right. He averaged twenty nine points last year. Two years ago he averaged thirty points um a game. So it's twenty five, seven, and eight at the age of thirty nine. It if I told you James is gonna play two more years, forget the Brownie stuff. he's gonna play two more years, you have no reason to think it wouldn't be at a high level, right? Right. Okay. Do you know how old Michael Jordan played in his final year? And he did it with the Wizards, okay? 
Uh, James uh, uh, Jordan was thirty nine. I was going to say, wasn't he almost forty? So in two thousand three, okay, Jordan is thirty nine. Do you know what he averaged that year for the Wizards? Give a guess. I'm going to say twenty points. Exactly twenty points. Good no. guess. Okay, he averaged twenty points, six rebounds, and four assists. By the way. How many games did Jordan play that final year at the oh. age of 39? 40. 82. Oh, he played them all. Wow. 82. I, for some reason, I, I vaguely remember his he final season. He played. He had an injury and then didn't play. The year before, he played in 60 of the 82 games. Okay. The first year with the Wizards, and he averaged 23 points a game. Now, this is coming after not playing for three years. Mm-hmm. At the age of 38 and 39, after missing three years, he averaged 23 and 20. Now, he wasn't the same player, but he didn't embarrass himself from a number standpoint. Do you know... How old Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was when he finished playing? No. He was 41. In the last year that Kareem played, he averaged 16 points and 7 rebounds. The skills were diminished. The year before, he played in 80 games and averaged 18 points and 7 rebounds. And by the way, won a championship at the age of 40. At the age of 39, in which we're talking about James here... Uh, Kareem played in 78 games. He averaged 20 points and 7 rebounds and 3 blocks a game. Didn't embarrass himself. He was not the same player, but still went out there and played at a high level. Carl Malone played till he was 40. He had that last year with the Lakers, which was odd, and averaged 14 points and was a shell of himself. But at the age of 36, 37, 38, and 39, would you like to ask how many games Carmelo missed in his final four seasons with the Utah Jazz? How many games he missed total? In his final, his final four seasons from the ages of 36 to 39 with the Utah Jazz, how many games did he miss? I'm going to say 30. He missed four. <laughs> four. Should have, should have guessed really, really low based on the way you asked that question, but four. there I am. An average 26, 23, 21, and 20. An average 10, 8, 8, and 8 rebounds. Wow. At the age of 36, 37, 38, and 39, and missed four games in four years. I'm not saying you shouldn't be impressed by LeBron James. I'm just telling you, our coverage plays a factor in the awe of this. Okay? Um, And different sports also. Mariana Rivera at the age of 40, had 44 saves. I do think being a close is a bit different, but still was dominant um, at that age. And, of course, Brady you know, played till he was 45. Um, so I am in awe of, uh, uh, of LeBron James when he has nights like he had last night and just his overall game. But there were some other guys that at 38, 39 still put up decent numbers. We just didn't have the coverage like we have today, where you can watch the highlight instantly and go, wow, look at yeah. what LeBron James uh, did. Should be impressed by it, but... Well, I don't remember seeing Kobe dropping 81 live. I watched it on SportsCenter the next day. But the way they presented the highlight, oh, like, damn. Yeah. And that's I remember that. Yeah. I remember watching the SportsCenter highlight. Yeah. That game was a regional game on it 
one o'clock in the morning on uh, when we got to finish on the East Coast. The coverage matters. Cam Miller talks to football next. Time to check in with College Football Network's Cam Miller for the latest on college football. 20, 15, 10, and bounces his way into the end zone. Touchdown! Get the latest football news at collegefootballnetwork.com. Follow Cam on Twitter at Cam Miller. All right, now we talk of football these Thursdays at this time. Cam Miller is on Twitter, X at Cam Miller, the executive director of College Football Network. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Happy Combine Week. How are you? I'm great. Uh, talking to you live from Indianapolis, actually, uh, from, from the Combine itself. So uh, it's the best time of year. Um, I want to get to the Combine in a second. A few other things that I do want to ask you first. Um, Jordy McLeod began his career at South Florida, and he's going to turn 25 this fall. And he has eligibility to play. Went from South Florida, Arizona, to James Madison. Now is going to Texas State. I saw Jordan McLeod play at South Florida. If you had told me, listen, he's going to get a chance to go play for G.J. Kinney at Texas State off the year he had at James Madison, I would have said, are you talking about the same guy? This is a guy that, if you are honest, you look at what we've created in college football, the portal and NIL, he's taken advantage of every opportunity, is he not? He's taken advantage of every opportunity, and then he's also taken something from each of his stops in his previous now four schools, and he's expanded on them and made himself better. It's a it's a true testament of what the transfer portal can do for an athlete. You know, does he have an NFL career? It's a long shot. Is he going to be a great college football quarterback and, and a glowing example of good from the transfer portal? Absolutely. But yeah, I share that uh, same sentiment. A couple years ago, would I have uh, believed you if you said he'd be playing for G- G.K. Kenny at uh, Texas State after what we saw at USF? No way. Yeah, it's a great story. Good for him. Um, and for James Madison, it's it's welcome to the NIL world where there is some money at Texas State, whether people realize this um, or not. Uh, one other thing, so so I, and it was clickbait. I fell for it, man. Uh, you looked at uh, the EA Sports potential uh, grades for some of the top college players and kind of projecting a little bit. Uh, what was that like? And, and tease our audience a little bit. They can go click uh, uh, to the link and read it, but you're trying to guess some grades for players. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like when you try to guess who's going to be the first overall pick uh, before the NFL season starts. We're we're well ahead of spring football. We're well ahead of summer camp and even fall camp. Trying to project. So kudos to the EA Sports staff for for getting it done. But to me, I looked at it. And you, uh, it was hard to get a top ten players in college football about how highly they would be rated in the game, and that's where we are. Uh, the the top tier of college football players this coming up season is is intense. And I looked at a. Uh, you know, I got to go back and hit the film. Uh, and so truly impressive with a, a guy like Luther Burden, who I think should, uh, if he didn't awaken people to his talents this past season at Missouri, the whole core returns. And I think Luther Burden can uh, turn some heads. And if we're talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. in this light right now and going to the NFL, that's where we'll be talking about Luther Burden next year. Yeah, Jalen Miller up there is still pretty high. You know, I, he's got a, a dark shot at the Heisman. I like to see what the offense uh, can, can, can look like under head coach Kalen DeBauer. But I think the, the growth we saw from him just in that month of November no quarterback ascended like he did last year. If he continues doing that and continues growing up, what brought him to Alabama, his athleticism, he's got all the talent in the world. All right, let's get to the combine. As you mentioned, the in Indianapolis. Give me an idea of what's around you. This has become an unbelievable event. Uh, everybody in the NFL um, is there. So for you, what's a day like today? Um, and what's that buzz of the combine as we get to Thursday now? Yeah, it's uh, very unique. I think you talk to the athletes themselves, and they don't under, they don't understand until they're here how rigorous it is. So it's 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's great food here in Indianapolis, but it is wall-to-wall action. I've already interviewed about 12 players. We're just at safeties and tight ends today for uh, media availability. So we've talked to a couple of them. It's it's always eye-opening to, to hear these kids and, and actually know who they are as, as people off the field, not just who they are on the field. So a lot of work, a lot of access to uh, to the players and teams itself, but it's truly an eye-opening experience for everybody. How much, like you mentioned, you're doing interviews. How much, Cam, has that changed where players are so prepared now for even interviews? And I'm not talking with NFL teams. I'm talking to the media. Yeah, you know who's more more prepared is the, the true juniors, the third-year players who have been in college through the entire NIL portion, essentially. They've already been talking to media since they were 18 years old, so they are as prepared as maybe the upperclassmen were from years past. They are coached up from, if it's not the, the last snap that they had in November of last year, or if they're lucky enough to make a bowl game or a college football playoffs, they are coached up from there. And when we reach this point, they've already met with maybe 32 NFL teams, uh, and if not that, at least a handful or dozens of media members. So they are not only coached up, they are well-versed in this. And, it's, uh, again, it's eye-opening. It's a, it's a professional business now. Earlier this week, Leger Duzable played 10 years in the NFL, now broadcaster, good friend of mine. He was on it, and I asked him the pros and cons of the combine you've covered this what what are the pros and cons what works and what is just kind of like that ah, that's overhyped at the combine yeah overhyped is definitely the on-field metrics it's nice to see somebody you know run fast but let's face it they're never going to be running that fast with no interference uh straight yard straight line for 40 yards uh so overblown it's great for social media right it's fun to see but uh you you're confirming prior beliefs on you here and that's not just who you are on the field with the testing but it's also who you are in the interview rooms are you able to adapt to schemes are you able to talk to coaches knowledgeably about playbooks uh what you're seeing in yourself what you're seeing other prospects so you're confirming priors i think that's the biggest aspect of these kids uh that they can cement themselves where they are with the team on their board much was made marvin harrison jr made it clear i'm not working out for anybody i'm just going to prepare for the draft that that's changed who throws who doesn't throw with the quarterbacks and all sorts of things what is that buzz in Indianapolis right now about who's performing and who's not performing? Yeah, we're also waiting to see. Brock Bowers is just on the on the stage. Georgia's tight end, uh, all-world guy, potential top ten pick. On the fence if he's going to work out. I think that's where we are with uh, with everybody. Those top tier guys have they confirmed enough? We have enough tape on a person like Brock Bowers. Do we need to see him? And so you know, it's much to do about those top guys. I think it ultimately helps. So if you look at the quarterbacks, somebody like JJ McCarthy is going to throw. Something like Bo Nix is going to throw. We're going to see them throw more because those top two are going to be sitting out those, those drills. So I think it helps that next tier down. Uh, and those, those don't get talked about enough. Uh, on field today, I think I have this right, the deed linemen and the linebackers, are there any interesting stories today among the group working out? You know, one thing that I'm seeing is that it's an omission. We're not having Miami safety James Williams. So I've got to call him a safety. He just worked out in Mobile as a linebacker at the Senior Bowl, and now he's not. He's here interviewing as a safety. He will do the drills as a safety as well. So linebacker group itself, good, decent talent. Uh, maybe not some some uh, all pro guys or candidates that we have for all pros on the on there. Jared Verse seeing what he can do um, and fully healthy would be an interesting thing today on the field. But yeah, James Williams here as a safety, not as a linebacker. Very interesting. Um, DBs and tight ends uh, will be the next group, but of course it'll get insane on Saturday when you've got uh, running backs and and quarterbacks. Um, and the wideouts, uh, give me a couple storylines that you're looking forward to on uh, Friday and Saturday here. You know, I want to see a, a guy like Malik Mustafa, who comes from a, an incredible pedigree from a high school program, state championship winning team over and over. Uh, good friends with Will Shipley just found out. Mm-hmm. But a, a guy like him, Malik Mustafa, how well he performs on the field. He's sort of one of those sleepers who's on the fringe for day two. And I think he could really you know, cement himself, confirm those prior beliefs on who he is. 
a few others uh, maybe that I might want to see. But again, I go back to James Williams too because how how big is he? What will he measure in? And then how fast is he going to be able to to produce at that uh, that pound for pound speed? Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Is he a hybrid? So uh, we're going to get some answers here this week. You mentioned for some of the drills, some of this doesn't really matter, but but but, but I'm going to guess for wide receivers and corners, the forty matters. Is it that big of a deal if I'm three hundredths of a second slower or faster than somebody? No, not at all. I think what's what's the age old adage? Jerry Rice ran a almost on a four seven four point seven yard forty yard dash, and that didn't matter. He's the greatest of all time. Uh, does it help to be fast? Absolutely. I would much rather some of these guys when they're out, you know, shagging balls and catching from these quarterbacks, watch their fluidity when they're uh, in and out of their route breaks. And so it's, it gets a little scouting, it's a little nuanced, but there's definitely some things you can look for other than just the 40 yard dash. It is nice to be fast, though. What separates or what will separate over the next few days for, for example, the group of wide receivers that we talked about the last couple of months and the potential number of wide receivers going not just in the first round, maybe the first three rounds? How does this play out this weekend? And is it possible for some guys to really benefit and move up to whatever degree that may be, a half round or even into a, another round? Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's a matter of where they're seen in the national light now at this point. You know, we're, nobody's really in these 32 NFL decision-making offices except for those guys and so for us as the national media to, to see players like this and see how where they're valued who they've met with i think that's we get the we get a more clear picture as the media of who these players have been meeting with who they're talking to uh how high they could be drafted in that sense and so somebody like malik neighbors who has uh climbed the receiver rankings uh closed the gap on marvin harrison so to speak and could be one of those guys that if he doesn't uh if he's there in the top 10 somebody's gonna in the, get a guy like that a steal uh, I think we're, we're closing the gap on certain positions with what we've learned this week. And again, I mean, we're going to ask it every week, probably through the draft. Uh, the second quarterback, does anybody have a, a lead going into the combine? Uh, it, to me, I, I can't waver from the top two. Caleb is uh, one of those generational guys, and the Drake May is just close behind him. So I, I, I would rather bank on the talents of Drake May, the traits he has, and how young he is to lead a franchise in the future. It's, I mean, you mentioned before about J.J. McCarthy. It, it's interesting to watch the different projections of him, of a guy that maybe was in the 20s. Now people talk about Denver's pick. Uh, would somebody then move up to take him inside of the top 10? That's got to be more than just him throwing on Saturday. It, it's got to be more of the run on quarterbacks if it happens, or he's just impressive face-to-face. It's, it's probably a combination of all three, right? I, I also look back at... He wasn't forced to do a whole lot, and so there was a, a greater area for him to, for any laps he had to showcase. He only had, you know, 240-plus attempts, whereas some of the other guys were throwing it 400, 500 times over the past two years. He didn't have that much to show us, and he didn't show us anything really poor. And I think that's, if you look at it from a throw-to-throw throw basis, J.J. McCarthy, we're sort of looking at him in a different light. He's showcasing how smart he is off the field, how athletic he is off the field. Um, and, and how schematically dependent he was not. He, he's a guy who can be uh, in any offense. And so I think what we're looking at now is getting the whole picture, confirming those priors. Uh, a little high for me, though, in the mid, mid-range of the first round. By the way, uh, a lot of people have covered this. The number of Michigan players there, Harbaugh told people, um, and they backed it up. Yes, they won the championship, but there's a lot of Michigan football in Indianapolis this weekend. A lot of Michigan football, and then in the era of the transfer portal, I just spoke with Eric All, the tight end at Iowa, who was at Michigan for four years prior. So not just uh, the, the Michigan representation, it's, it's even more so with the transfer portal. It's, uh, there's a reason they won the national championship, uh, a reason they still should be good this year, even without their head coach. So to me, Harbaugh backed it up, and then he's pushing his guys here. You know, credit to those top teams. The, they're all most well represented here. 
Um, and a guy like even Jaheim Bell showing out for Florida State and talking about Mike Norvell. It's a, it's a testament of what those teams put forth last year uh, and then what they're going to do in the NFL. I'm going to let you go on this. Give me two players that you hope do so well this week and it solidifies your view, whether they're guys in rounds one, two, or six or seven. So I just said it. Jaheim Bell, I think, is a guy that I would love to see do well. Uh, somebody he's very, very knowledgeable in the game, understands what he's what he's able to uh, put forth for an NFL team, and I think he can have a role in the NFL. And then another one, Trey Knox. I'll stick with tight ends. I mean, just spoke to him. Trey Knox, South Carolina tight end, a guy who went under the radar, flew under the radar, uh, commanded the show, comped himself to Kyle Pitts. So lofty, lofty comp, comp, uh, comparison to uh, who he thinks, but a guy like him, I didn't quite get the shine that I think he deserved um, this past season and through his college career. So both tight ends, Jaheim Bell and Trey Knox. Uh, please follow him on uh, X or Twitter at Cam Miller. There you get the links to all the great stuff at uh, collegefootballnetwork.com, profootballnetwork.com, whether it is the projected ratings for EA college football, whether it is a seven-round mock draft, all the fun stuff is right there. Go enjoy the weekend. Thank you. appreciate it as always. Right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Uh, Cam Miller and some good stuff as we get set for the uh, – draft. Kyle, there are, not, there are no secrets on uh, uh, this show. Um, not that I know of. Can you describe to the audience what my desk looks like this morning? <laughs> there was a uh, all-you-can-eat sale at Panera, and you just went all out. No, that's Einstein's. Oh, Einstein, excuse me. Einstein. Yeah. And by the way, I brought Kelly uh, something this morning, too. Every time I go there, I bring him something. So, so cool. on, on mornings that I get home at like 3, So you like him more than me? Is that what it is? I'm not complaining. Tough spot I walked into there. <laughs> so, so usually the mornings that I get home that I'm just truly going to shower, maybe close my eyes for an hour, and try to keep quiet so I don't make my typical egg white omelet as I normally would. So today was one of those mornings, so I did uh, go to Einstein. So I have I have a bagel with a bunch of like paper towels and stuff there. My notes set up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, allergies now as the pollen's beginning to drop. And then anytime I fly, so I get a little bit of my allergies going. I got my coffee over here. Um, I got my coffee today, not tea. Well, uh, well, today's Thursday, so I do coffee on Tuesday and Thursdays. Um, and then just just in case I needed more food, I didn't eat that much. I got a you know a couple side little you know little applesauce over here and things. But I look like the guy that's like mm-hmm. sick with the flu, but I'm not sick. But you're not sick, yeah. It's just, just allergies, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just tired. This so is this this my image right here I'm is going clean on this up. Right now it just looks awful. The <laughs> place looks like a mess, but you know, in an hour and fifteen minutes it'll be cleaned up, but I just look around like, God, this place looks gross. <laughs> yeah. Nothing that a good wet wipe and a trash can can't uh, fix up, but that's the way Well, it we'll get it after the show. Yeah. What happens? we got a history lesson coming up at 11.35 today that we do on uh, Thursdays, and uh, we'll do that. The Hour of 11 kicks off with Kyle the News next. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. That was Kyle trying to move on quickly by playing the news liner to get himself out of the awkward jam he put himself oh, in. What a bad week. 11 o'clock hour, WY Jam Orlando, WJR, HC2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader. It's Kyle with the news. <laughs> the Magic continue their three-game homestand tonight against the Utah Jazz in Orlando. The Magic started the stand with a 108-81 round of Brooklyn on Tuesday. Orlando has won sixth last eight overall to improve to 33-26. and which puts them eighth in the East. Paolo Becerra and Jonathan Isaac, both questionable with an illness as of right now. 
The NBA is turning down the Knicks' dispute of their 105-103 loss to the Rockets on February 12th. The league denied the game protest filed by the Knicks, citing concerns about the fidelity of the last-second foul call that made the scoring difference. The league stated in a release that since the foul call at issue reflected on error in judgment and not a misapplication of the playing rules, a game protest was not unwarranted, uh, not warranted, was the ruling. Uh, Knicks guard Jalen Brunson was incorrectly called for a foul with 0.3 seconds remaining, leading to the Rockets taking the lead and playing out the clock. Only six protests have been upheld yeah, in NBA rough. history. Clearly got wrong. A little bit. A former professional wrestling wrestling star has passed away. Michael Jones, known by the ring name as Virgil, has died at the age really? of 61. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Ted DiBiase. Uh, he was best known for his eight-year stint as the World Wrestling Federation, now known as the WWE, where he often appeared as the personal assistant to the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. Hmm. His cause of death has not been reported. My two Virgil memories is when he beat Ted DiBiase at WrestleMania, and the crowd went absolutely bananas. And then that terrible dead spin thread where they, it's called Lonely Virgil, where they showed him sitting alone at professional wrestling autograph sightings. Oh, sightings. those are the worst when they... Oh. Uh, that's it. There was an entire page called Lonely Virgil, where it was just him sitting alone. At wrestling sightings. One sightings. of the many great scenes of the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, you know, when, the, yeah. when they show, like, some of those promotional events and just guys sitting there with their CDs and pictures and, like, no one showing up. It's and you're the like, worst. Oh, my God, yeah. It's the worst. Major League Baseball star Shoya Tani is a married man. A 29-year-old home run hitter made the announcement on Instagram late Wednesday, writing in Japanese, quote, Not only have I begun a new chapter in my career with Dodgers, but I've also begun a new life with someone from my native country, end quote. He offered no details about his new wife. Atani played six years with the California Angels, and in December he signed a 10-year deal with the L.A. Dodgers. And, of course, the in- Internet is immediately jumping on the bandwagon. Is she even real? What? Yeah, I don't know why people... The internet should that. be jumping on the bandwagon ass prenup. Uh, well, I think we've all... I mean, that's why he got married after the deal was signed. Uh, all right. Just saying. Okay. Travis Kelsey now has his sights set on Hollywood. The Kansas City Chiefs tight end is making his way into the movie business as an executive producer on an upcoming independent film. Quote, my dead friend Zoe. End quote. That's the name of the movie. It's a dark comedy that costs less than $10 million to make. The film was financed using renewable energy tax credits and stars Morgan Freeman, Ed Harris, and Natalie Morales. The film will premiere next month at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. All right. Today is February 29th, an event that only happens every four years. Leap Day, in case you didn't know. An extra day added to the calendar every 4th February to keep the four seasons from getting out of whack. Everyone knows the year is 365 days long, but that's not well, exactly accurate. Hold on a second. What? Go ahead. If, if you and I randomly picked 100 people today, mm-hmm. do you think everybody knows there's 365 days in a year? Yeah, I think that's a general no- knowledge. Do you think they know how many weeks are in a year? If, yeah. 52. Two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know if you wanted me to answer or answer your question. Okay. 52. Yeah, you think people would... You think there's a larger percentage would get that wrong? I think at least 10 people don't know how many days are in a year. 
Out of what? Out of 100. Okay. And it's and by the way, number of weeks? Yeah. I think 25%. 25 no. out of 100 don't know how many weeks in a year. No. You no, think I'm too high? I don't think it's that high. That high. Yeah, okay. I don't think that's that high. Now, how many people know why we have a leap day? Well, that's what I, that I don't think as is as I think. Yeah, I think Mike had the story and, and read the number, which wasn't surprising. But yeah, yeah, it, it go ahead. It, it takes Earth about three hundred and sixty-five and one quarter days right. to travel around the sun. Mm-hmm. So to keep the extra time from throwing things off, the Romans decided a couple thousand years ago to add an extra day every four years. Oh, the Romans decided. The Pope made some uh, sign, uh, really? sign adjustments in the 1500s. What? But the leap year stayed with us Here's ever since. Why can't we all just, like, one day just lean one way to kind of get it, you know, like... I don't think that works. No? All right. No. Yeah, why don't, we, why don't we, everybody in there, jump up and down and see if we can stop the spinning to make it an even 365. <laughs> um... But now you got me wondering. How, I mean, I, I think it would be a sixty percent would get that wrong. About why we have a leap day? Yeah, sixty. Yeah. Okay. You think it'd be more than that? Ninety. All right. Eight of a hundred people would have no idea why. No, I, I'd give it a little bit more than that. No way. I give, I give thirty. Yeah, thirty no to forty. No way. No way. We're gonna have fun at the UCF game on Saturday. I'm literally gonna walk around the stadium and just ask people, "Hey, why do we have a leap year?" Maybe I'll do that on social. That should okay. be fun. Yeah. Mark, we talked about this Tuesday, and um, it's already being backtracked. Wendy's already walking back their controversial surge pricing plan. Earlier this week, CEO Kirk Tanner said the fast food chain would implement dynamic pricing and other AI-enabled features in 2025 and prompted a sw- a promptly a swift backlash on social media happened. On Wednesday, a spokesman clarified the plan, saying Wendy's will not implement surge pricing, which is the practice of raising prices when demand is highest. We didn't use that phrase, nor do we plan to implement that practice. Instead, the chain says its digital menus will allow us to change the menu offerings at different times of the day and offer discounts and value offers customized to the time of day, time of week, and the season to customers more easily. Okay, so I read a couple stories on this. If you go back and listen to uh, the earnings call... Yeah, he says search price. They do not make reference to dynamic pricing and increasing during high periods of traffic. Right. The word salad in play here is they did explain why there's a significant increase in the cost, because they have to digit, uh, uh, make all the menus digital. Mm-hmm. And and there's a high number of Wendy's restaurants that are not digital Yeah, uh, 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 the menu. So there's a large expense to that. It led to some questions about um, what's the main reason for that, and the answer was it al- allows them to adjust prices. What they did not say they were not doing is raising the cost of food. Because now what people are saying is right. that the PR was so bad that Wendy's may be raising the cost for food and then teasing you with, like, I'm using the, the phrase, the happy hour, mm-hmm. meaning, hey, if you buy this number one meal at 3.30, it's this price. For... So the argument is, okay, you're not doing dynamic pricing, but you're increasing the price. That's right. 
and you're only going to offer those discounts, which is the price of what it is right now in slow times. That is increased pricing. Yeah. It, yeah. Call it what you want. That's how it's going to be. That's that what. That's what. If I have to go through the dollar or uh, drive through, and I just want a chicken sandwich meal, and you charge me twenty bucks, I ain't coming back. I don't care. Yeah, I don't want to see your digital signages. I there's there's the there's the economy of fast food, and I don't mean by you know what you pay. There's a there is a percentage of the population that relies on restaurants like that, not for convenience, but for cost. Mm-hmm. When you get into what some perceive as price gouging, <clears throat> there's there's a bigger story uh, going on uh, in relation to that. However, let me say this. So, so, so I, I, I tell this story often. This morning, I am driving home. It is 2.50. No, it, it, yeah, it was right about 3 o'clock. And... I am coming down some of the same streets I drive every time I'm coming home from UCF late at night for a game, and what fast food restaurant is 12 deep in the drive through line? Taco Bell. 12 deep. Just backed up, and There's at that moment... There's about 135 Taco Bell that is just a different beast. Okay. Because you think the person making that is really fired up at 2.55 in the morning? Nope. All right. It's 11-13, Mark. That's the news. That is the news. Uh, tonight, uh, we'll talk uh, UCF basketball. UCF Night Talk Live at Metal Mushroom begins at 6 o'clock. A couple of big wins for Johnny Dawkins' team. We'll chat with him at 6 o'clock tonight. Got a night player is going to come by as well. If you're a UCF fan, come on down and join us at Metal Mushroom. Have some great food. Uh, show begins at 6 o'clock. If you can't make it down there, you can listen right here on FM 96.9 or 740 on the AM dollar on the iHeart app. UCF Night Talk Live coming up. Uh, tonight. When should winning matter? This is an interesting uh, debate. I think I know where it's going, but it's a valid question to ask. I'll explain next. So we had an explanation about the Postal Service. Text to right, center on the Mills Air text line 50857. They call the project the Postal Service because one guy would do the vocals on his own and mail it to the guy that would do the music. I did not know that, but I'm not a music aficionado band piece, but... There you go. Loved a couple of Postal Service live shows and sometimes like to mix them in. I got a text message from a friend who goes, oh yeah, I listen to Postal Service. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm down with it, man. It's all good. Um... Quickly, um, one one school of thought as the combine gets underway, and it, it, it's more than just the draft for the combine, but the tea leaves are starting to tell you that if you're a Dolphin fan, that the team is working towards signing Tua to the extension and a new deal, that it's going to pay him north of $50 million. And you can debate all you want about whether he's worth it, but it's all about timing. We talked about this months ago, and then at the end of the season, I said that, that they're going to sign him. But had no choice. Um, remember, when they do, it makes the draft for the Dolphins and whatever limited free agency, you better get it right. 
because the dollars they spent the last few years are, are just not going to be there for uh, Miami. So, anyway, um, Magic do play tonight against the Utah Jazz. Uh, home game, another chance uh, uh, to get a win, where the Magic still have a ton of home games uh, left to play. Okay, so, so here's a, a, a Kyle. Here's a question that I've got. Um, should winning matter? Very generic statement. Should winning matter? The first answer is, well, yeah. I mean, it should always matter when you're comparing something. Mm-hmm. So, so there's this interesting, I guess, a little bit of uh, basketball debate. Chet Holmgren missed his rookie season with the injury, so therefore this is his rookie season. Okay, He's eligible to play. I mean, he's eligible to win rookie of the year because he didn't play last year. Um, Victor Wembayama comes in with all the hype. And after a little bit of a slow start, has been phenomenal. So this is an interesting matchup of uh, the two. Okay, stats, uh, points per game: twenty point six for Wemby, seventeen point one for Chet Holmgren. Rebounds: ten point two for Wemby, seven point eight for Chet Holmgren. Three point three assists: Wemby, two point seven for Chet Holmgren. Three point three blocks a game for Wemby, two point seven for Chet Holmgren. One point three steals for Wemby, zero point seven steals for Chet. shooting for Wemby, 54.2% for Chet Holmgren. Now, most of those stats, Victor Wembayama is better. Okay, he's better in most of those stats. Um, But now let me ask you this question, okay? Now, if you watch Victor Wembayama play this year, particularly after, I thought, the first quarter, say 20 games, you began to see this stuff and go, oh, okay, yeah, I, 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 I get it. It's more than just that he's tall. But here's a valid question, I think. The Spurs today are 11 and 48. They're 11 and 48. Chet Holmgren playing for Oklahoma City, they are 41 and 17 and are a half game out of the top seed in the West. Okay? If you want to get into some of the analytics, things like wind share, which some of you are like, what? Mm hmm. Um, or like war in baseball, uh, Chet Holmgren is 12th in the NBA in win share. Um, he's shooting better, both from the three-point line and, and, and overall. So here's a question. Statistically, Victor Wembayama has the edge. Should winning matter... Because when Bayama is playing in more lopsided games, which they're losing, not saying that every point and rebound is a junk point or rebound, Chet Holmgren is playing in meaningful games every time OKC goes out there. Uh, how do you weigh that? Does it matter? Or like, you know what? I, naked eye, look at the stats, and when Bayama, uh, he's got this advantage. Or do you give some value to the fact that Holmgren's playing on a team that is forty-one and seventeen? What am I being asked to evaluate? Who's the rookie of the year? Yeah, and as you decide that, okay. how much weight do you put into the record of both teams here? One is playing for a team fighting for the top seed in the West; the other is playing for nothing. Is there more for the guy who every uh, every night is playing in a meaningful game? Not that Wembayama's not trying, but the Spurs have 11 wins. I'm going to say Chet Holmgren. 
because I am going to root to say this guy is being the glue to keep that talent together I to elevate them. The glue to keep yes. them together. Oh boy. Yeah, that's where I'm going to go with. Now, it's a team game. You could say, hey, he's got We're, SGA there. This is a, a, a team much better than people thought, maybe two years ahead. But I think this goes back to the argument of what is the rookie of the year? Is it just a, a player who did dominant numbers? And is Wimby getting those dominant numbers because there's no other talent on the Spurs? Right. And, or is it the guy who's coming together to fill and complete the puzzle for a team to win a championship? Right. So, and I'm always going to be on the team to win the championship because winning's everything to me. Right. So, so I think when is going to win comfortably, but I agree with you. And by the way, somebody says, I'm voting for Victor Wembayama. You could convince me that you're making the right choice. I may disagree. But I'm not going to yell at somebody, oh, you can't vote for Wembayama, because he's good. But I think there really is something to the guy that every single night is playing a meaningful game. How many wins do the Spurs have if they don't have Victor Wembayama? Eight? Nine? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's two. Um... You put Victor Wembeyama on the Thunder, does he have the same stats, and are they in the same position? Maybe they are. but I, no, I'm I, not going to disagree yeah, with that. But I just think that, that there is a value to playing in those meaningful games, and you could look and say, well, okay, if he's so special, and, and I understand this is unfair because we're not judging the career by the one year that he's played this far. They go, hey, shouldn't they have more than 11 wins? Like, if he's that good, shouldn't they have – you know, maybe six, seven more wins than what they have now. Because while I'm not totally into the analytics, the the advanced stats, there are some numbers for Chet Holmgren that say when he's off the floor, they're not anywhere near as good. They're not. By the way, the numbers, when you take Wemby off the floor, it shows that the Spurs actually would have less than two fewer wins. Doesn't mean he's not good. Doesn't mean he won't be great. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a value to the player that every single night teams come out for them. I mean, Oklahoma City, this again, maybe a year or two out of schedule. But you play OKC, hey, teams get up for you. And I, I think there's something to it for Chet Holmgren. The good news is they're both really, really good players. It's great for the NBA. I think Wembayama is going to win comfortably. But I could make the case for Chet Holmgren because I think it matters when you're playing in significant games. I just think that that... Uh, uh, should matter. Again, Magic Jazz tonight. We got coverage after uh, yes, after night uh, right after night talk. We'll run okay. into the tip. All right, so Magic and Jazz uh, tonight uh, from uh, the Kia Center uh, for Orlando in the interesting race in the East with everything at stake and teams still banged up and everything and trying to play through um, all of that. We come back the weekly history lesson next. <laughs> Yes, indeed, boys and girls, time to get the round our weekly history lesson. Looks back on this day in sports or something unique that happened and some of the interesting stories behind the individuals that made sports history in one form or uh, another. Today, our history lesson fits with one of the biggest gatherings of football minds, and that's the NFL Draft Combine. It's not just a gathering to prepare for the NFL Draft. It is the beauty of the National Football League. That they continue to come up with ways to take headlines all across sports. No matter if there's no games being played, 
The NFL has mastered the 12-month marketing schedule. As I've often said, we just play games from late August into now mid-February. But the National Football League is a business 12 months a year. From hyping schedule releases, announcing the start of a free agency period, and using four months to prepare for the NFL draft, it's truly remarkable what the National Football League has done. The latest convention convenes in Indianapolis. And Kyle, do you know at Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Colts play, and used to be at the Dome, uh, the Hoosier Dome and the many names they had, do you know this stadium was built with the Combine in mind? When the Colts, the city and state decided to build the stadium, one of the many things they took into consideration was, we don't want to lose the combine. Because after all, the NFL draft has now moved out of New York and has become a huge moneymaker going across the country. Mm-hmm. Some have suggested, well, why not the NFL combine? If you stop and think and go, well, I, you can go to Vegas, you can go to L.A. In, in Indianapolis, with the state and the city and the Colts, they built that stadium not solely, but among the many things, was for the NFL Combine. What do I mean? Do you know that the medical side of the Combine, it's not just you bring your team doctors and staff. Nope, the NFL worked with the people in Indianapolis to have the best medical system in place with the facility nearby, everything needed. The turf that the players are going to run on and work out on, specifically designed for the Combine, The underbelly of this structure was built with the assistance of the National Football League to what they wanted for the draft, Combine. So when someone tells you, I hear the Combine is moving, likely they're lying. By the way, there is no lifetime contract here, but the two sides seem to have a working agreement that it works One, for the travel, and two, because of what they built the stadium. But the history of how we got here is somewhat fascinating because we didn't have the combine all the time. The art of picking players for draft is an interesting one. Tex Rand, the longtime president and general manager for the Dallas Cowboys, he was there from 1960 to 1989. Well, he had an idea that he ran by the competition committee many, many years ago. And despite what he and the Cowboys believed was a scouting advantage. Remember, the Cowboys were the very first team to use a computer to put in data of players and rank players. The old system for NFL teams was you send scouts out all across the country. You had a scout that was assigned to the east, one to the south, Midwest, west. They had scouts that worked with them. And you went. You went to college games. You sat in the press box, you got a good seat, you got a good meal, and you wrote notes. And then you'd have a file that you would send, and that's how the team had a file on player XYZ. That worked for years. The Cowboys were ahead of the uh, uh, of the curve, using the data they picked up from their scouts, putting it into the computer with a program that was built to distinguish the best players and rank them. Big boards did exist across the National Football League. You'd sit in a smoke-filled room and say, when are you a linebacker? Who you like, Bob? I like this kid that goes to Michigan. I will take him. But the Cowboys felt for the good of the game to grow the game, they wanted to share some of their ideas. 
And Dex Ram kicked around with the NFL's then-competition committee and said, look, if we're going to grow the National Football League, because if you're not that old, you have to remember, the NFL was nowhere near as big as it is now 50, 60 years ago. Back then, baseball was the dominant sport in America. When you go to the 60s and 70s, it was baseball than everything else. And depending on where you lived in the country, it might be followed by golf and boxing and horse racing before you got to things like the NFL and the NBA. Now, college football? That was always bigger than the National Football League. But as the NFL began to grow, Schramm convinced other league officials and owners, we've got to get better at identifying the best talent, and we've got to get the draft to be better. Right now, we're scattered all over the place. So how do we do this? Hence, the idea came about to have a unified system when it came to preparing for the NFL draft. But you got to go way, way, way back to figure out how we got here. Yes, Tex Graham played a big, part of, uh, a, a big part of it. In 1976, the Jets became one of the first teams to invite college seniors to come to the team's headquarters to take physicals and interviews. Other NFL teams wondered, why would the Jets do that? Well, the Jets thought, let's get to know some of these guys, and let's make sure we don't make a mistake medically when it comes to players and we draft guys that are banged up and hurt. The National Football League also felt, look, can we save money? Save money back then in the NFL. What if there was a business model? And there was. Up popped the number of companies that became scouting services for the National Football League. After all, it was impossible back then the staffs of the NFL in the front office were not as big as they are now. You couldn't possibly have scouts all across the country to watch all the games in college football to uncover all the players that were playing and were they being drafted. So there were a number of different companies that popped up and signed deals with NFL teams. The Bledsoe and Quadra Scouting Organizations. And truly, around the NFL, there were three different companies that would go out and try to sign up teams, and they would all fight for the business, and some offer cheaper prices, and uh, advance their technology, and teams cut deals, and it was a big business. Well, in 1982, the Indianapolis-based National Football Scouting, Inc., NFS, conducted the first national invitational camp in... Tampa, Florida. They invited the top college players to one location to be able to take physicals and have conversations with teams. 16 teams showed up. 163 players were there. And so began the process. In 1985, with three different camps put on by the three different scouting organizations, the league says, that's enough. We're not going to do this. We're not going to ask some players to keep bouncing around, and uh, it's not in everybody's best interest. So in 1985, the three camps merged, and the league opted to go with the National Football Scouting Service. They ran the largest camp. Well, in Tampa in 1982, they went to Phoenix in 1985. Well, they realized that running outdoors wasn't necessarily the best thing to do. Not that you're not going to play games outdoors, but they felt... You couldn't control the weather all the time there, so that went out the window. They went to New Orleans in 1986. And after a year in New Orleans, the idea was, okay, yeah, this is pretty good, and I I, I think this might work. Well, 
after the camp was held in New Orleans. In 1987, the NFL said, we need a more centralized location. And they called the Colts, who were playing at the Hoosier Dome, which would become the RCA Dome, and said, we want to move this scouting combine thing to your stadium. And originally, the Colts said, we can't pay for that. And the league said, no, 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 we'll pay for it. So the idea was, let's go to Indianapolis. And it got approval by most teams in the National Football League. And if you're from Indiana or or a city of Indianapolis, don't take this personally. One of the problems the National Football League thought was, wait a minute, we're going to send everybody to Indianapolis. Can they handle this? Because the league said this may grow to become a big thing. Well, the city of Indianapolis said, no big deal. we got plenty of hotels. Come on, what are we talking about? And so Indianapolis was chosen. In 1987, the first combine was held there. By the way, anybody want to guess the number of credentials issued to the media for the 1987 NFL combine? I want to say zero. Final answer? No. Three. 26. Oh, all right. 26. Do you know what access they got to the actual workouts? None. Yeah. NFL GMs. And scouting departments insisted the National Football League not allow the media to see any of the workouts. So what happened? You had media that were there roaming the hotel lobbies and on the street going to dinner with a few of the NFL people just to get an idea what was going on. Do you know originally the Combine encouraged, they didn't ban them, of agents going. They didn't want agents. This was supposed to be, hey... The just players are going to come in. We're going to do physicals with the players. We're going to have some interviews. We don't want agent. This is not about negotiating. This is not what this is about. This is just for us to kind of simplify the process. So you had little to no media coverage. You had very few, if any, agents that were there. There was no television when it came to covering uh, the combine. So what did they give credentials for? Well, that's a good question. The story goes that the Peter Kings of the world and a few others that were covering the National Football yeah. and they were so big that they'd be writing a lot of feature stories. Look, even in Peter King's retirement column that he wrote, he said that the industry's changed so much that there used to be that dead period when the season ended. You go write long features, you know, as mm-hmm. he did for SI for all those years. You know, n- now it's you got to have a headline every single day. Yeah. So some of the uh, veterans who cover the NFL, it'll be time to kind of catch up, get a lot of people to one place. And it'd be good coverage for the National Football League. So there you have it, 1987. Hence began the Combine in Indianapolis. Well, over the years, it began to get more popular, and people began to say this is a good place to go do some business. And teams began to bring more people to come to Indianapolis. And by the time you got into uh, the early 90s, every NFL team was in Indianapolis. By the way, the first Combine, a number of teams did not go. You know who refused to go the first couple of years? Al Davis. <laughs> of course, Al went against everything that the NFL did. I was like, we're not going there. We're the Raiders. We'll, 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 we'll decide who we draft. I, 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 I'm not going there. That's just crazy. Eventually, everybody got to the Combine by the time he got to the 90s. It became a bigger event, and now it became a big deal as to who was going to go and get invited to the Combine. Well, that was a big thing about getting that invitation and getting to the combine. In the early years, before the media coverage, word would leak out about the types of workouts that players were doing. 
And while we hype the 40 today because it's televised to us, do you know what was the biggest deal back in the early to mid-90s what workout? What could you bench? That was the big number. What guys were benching? Now we get hand measurements, shuttle run times, all sorts of things that nobody really understands. Over the years in Indianapolis, the NFL realized this is a pretty big deal that seems to have a lot of attention to it. So, George Young, the longtime front office executive for the New York Giants, got together with some other owners and kicked around the idea of, what does anybody think about televising this? The original thought was, are you crazy? We're not televising this thing. Well, by the time he got into the late 90s, one of a few owners that began to throw their influence around began to change the minds of others. Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys was among them, who convinced a number of people in the NFL office and other owners, do you realize what kind of marketing opportunity we have? Think about this. We're getting the entire NFL gathered in one city in a month that we don't play games to cover workouts by college players that most people have no idea. Still not yet sold, the NFL decided, well, what about our media partners? In its infancy stage, the NFL network didn't have much programming. Remember, they didn't have games for years. Had nothing. So the idea was, you know, we got this thing over here. (laughs) And in 2004, the NFL scouting combine was first shown on live television. Well. Fans began to take a look and go, well, that's kind of interesting. Sports Center would show a highlight or two. You'd post the information as to who did what in the 40s. In 2005, the surface of the RCA Dome was changed from AstroTurf to field turf. Why was that a big deal? Because the average 40 times significantly changed. There was a big difference in running an AstroTurf to field turf. Everybody was faster. In 2009, that's when Lucas Oil Stadium opened. And beginning in 2007, the league worked with the city and state and the Colts about what they wanted to be built for the combine that would make it easier for teams to go through all the medicals, to have all the rooms for the interviews, to have all the media space, and they went and built and basically got exactly what they wanted. By the time 2011 came along, the league realized this is so good, they created regional combines for players not invited to the main scouting combine. And over the years, of course, agents began to come to the combine. The number of media began to grow coming to the combine. Don't know the numbers this year. Kyle, do you want to guess how many credentials were issued for 2023 for the NFL combine? I don't want to know. Give a guess. Thousand. Not a thousand. North of six hundred though. Yeah. Wanna guess how many agents on average show up now to the NFL combine? Oh, they all do. More than sixty. Yeah. And the National Football League has turned the NFL Combine into a massive football convention with nonstop coverage, live on the NFL network, live on ESPN, even on ABC with a weekend spot. And you're watching because the numbers back it up as they will again with the NFL Combine underway in Indianapolis.
Back to wrap up the Thursday show next. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.